Salutations, and welcome to Spiritual Blitherings, Philosophical Ponderings, and Everything Ramblings at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. I'm your host, Steve, the Hopeful Humanist. Welcome to Episode 6, Standing Up to Anxiety and Confronting the Absurd. I'm excited about this episode today. I mentioned in my last two podcasts, Part 1 and Part 2 of Episode 4 and 5, that at some point, perhaps I should address the absurd and it seems to fit in right now with the discussion we uh, had in our last sharing. So when I, uh, I also think I should do uh, an acknowledgement of an apology. In my last episode, having talked to a colleague, was made aware that uh, I, I had been pronouncing uh, the author of the book that I've been talking about incorrectly, and that it should be Johan Hari. And so I wanted to acknowledge that. So that book, which explored depression and the causes of depression, the nine causes of depression, if you did get a chance to pick up the book at your local library, make a purchase on Amazon, uh, in there it's identified that if we're going to talk about depression, we should also be simultaneously talking about anxiety, that the two of them go together. So when Johan Hari was identifying in Lost Connections the nine different causes of depression, disconnection from meaningful work, disconnection from other people, disconnection from meaningful values, disconnection from childhood trauma, disconnection from status and respect, disconnection from the natural world, disconnection from a hopeful and secure world, and eight and nine, the real role of genes and brain changes. I think a question is then available for us to ask if we should be doing research simultaneously about depression and anxiety, what is the relationship of those questions to anxiety? So we're going to explore a resource that can be helpful in terms of standing up to anxiety. And then we're going to have a discussion about the absurd, which I think is a experience that some people might have and that this experience depending upon how a person reconciles oneself to the experience could lead to anxiety existential angst despair we should maybe perhaps start with a quote to orient ourselves in terms of this discussion so this quote comes to us from if, if I'm saying it wrong, I apologize. The Myth of Sisyphus from Camus. And uh, it's an essay that he wrote at the beginning of his uh, writing career that established him. And it, over time, his, his view expanded in terms of his later writing. So I think it's important that when we look at some of the thoughts that we're going to come across in terms of Camus, this philosophical thinker, who has been described as an absurdist or an existentialist, that some of the ideas here and some of the ideas from that essay, that the myth, the myth of Sisyphus, um, they, they evolved over time. And so our goal is to be critically reflective, once again, realizing that uh, Camus is sharing thoughts based on his experience, and he, like myself, like anyone, does not have a monopoly on the truth. The quote goes as such, at any street corner, the feeling of absurdity can strike 
any man in the face. I like to uh, extend that and say any one, any being, any human being in the face. As it is, in its distressing nudity, in its light without effulgence, it is elusive. But that very difficulty deserves reflection. There's the companion quote from uh, that book that I like to offer. It happens that the stage sets collapse. Rising, streetcar, four hours in the office or the factory, meal, streetcar, four hours of work, meal, sleep, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, according to the same rhythm. This path is easily followed most of the time. But one day, the why arises and everything begins in that weariness tinged with amazement. These two quotes uh, attracted my attention because when we're going to talk about the absurd and then uh, its relationship to feelings like existential angst and anxiety and despair, identifies that at times we're moving through life and then when we least expect it, we find ourselves, and it could be anywhere, standing on a street corner, it could be at work, it could be as uh, we're you know, getting into our vehicle on route to work, that something strikes us about the universe as uh, being absurd. And it's, it's hard to make sense out of what that is. So those are the things we're going to talk about. I've kind of planted the seed. Before we go any further, though, I just uh, have a little update uh, in terms of the Action for Happiness website. They have now available on the front page podcasts that listeners can access. And I listened to uh, a very enjoyable one. It was a dr- uh, there was a, a conversation with the host in a vehicle with uh, I believe I'm saying it right, John Kabat Zinn, who is the father of mindfulness-based stress reduction, uh, that movement. And there are a bunch of other podcasts. And you know, as a self-appointed ambassador for Action for Happiness, I just wanted to bring mindfulness to this. Uh, new development, this new resource that's available. So you can go there and access lots of different podcasts uh, about mindfulness. There's uh, one that talks about the Mindfulness Movement movie, and I believe that's that's directed by Rod Beamer. There's another podcast by Lord Richard Laird, who is the founder of Action for Happiness. So check that out. The website I'm highlighting today, and I think I should probably get to it sooner than later because I might end up getting lost in the absurd conversation, is a website that is very quite incredible. It's called Anxiety BC. So you can go to Google and put in the search bar Anxiety BC, and it will bring you to this website. And they have uh, two streams. They have an adult stream, and then they have a youth stream. And in terms of the adult stream, they have what is called a MAP program. So it's my anxiety plan for anxiety. And they have five distinct chapters with a series of sessions that can walk a person through the anxiety discussion in terms of like, what is anxiety? How does it affect my body? Uh, What are things that I can do to stand up to anxiety? How can I live a healthy life in this world that could be described as 
complex, ambiguous, absurd. And it's a, it's free. It's, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm trying to find in terms of resource that I'm offering people. Checking out things on the internet that provide quality content that are accessible and they're free. So I would really encourage someone, a spiritual aspirant, to check this out to see if it might be a resource to throw in one's self-directed resource for wellness. And you can go in one section on... uh, I usually go through the youth stream. I like how they present it. The map information is quite comprehensive. It it, It could feel overwhelming, but... Everything there is from beginning to end in terms of different things that a, a person might want to tackle in terms of the experience of anxiety. For me, what I found interesting about the youth tab is you can go into one part of the the stream and click on different options and you could either complete a test on anxiety. Am I struggling with anxiety? You can explore different habits that could allow one to live healthier in a healthier way, create better sense of well-being. That's the health habits quiz. So yeah, definitely check that out in terms of the different things that it bullet points. We have the anxiety 101 information about that, facing fears, thinking right, you know, this in in terms of right view and sometimes we have cognitive dissidents, we have thought errors about what's happening in our world. And so there's information on that. There's how to chill. There's videos touching on all the different information, uh, health, healthy habits, and common problems. So definitely encourage you to check that out. Having been my ambassador to Action for Happiness, having introduced the website of the moment, uh, Anxiety BC, I'd like to just get into this discussion about the absurd and its relationship to anxiety. So in terms of making this conversation relatable, I think we need to be aware of what what we're talking about. And in terms of this thinker, Camus, he identifies that, you know, we can each have an experience of the absurd. And also that there is this concept, philosophical concept, the absurd. And we need to distinguish between two of those two things. So I think a good starting point would be to identify that for many of us, perhaps for all of us at a certain point, it's, it's not such a strange thing that we might say, I just had an experience of the absurd. I had a discussion with my oldest son and asked him what, what he thought was absurd or what he experienced as being absurd about his lived experience. And he said, well, dad, I was born and I came into this world, you know, as Sartre would probably say, he was thrust into this world through no choice of his own. And now he's in a world where he's expected to make choices. Absurd. Uh, Just a little side note there. And he said, "Um, I I was born and, and I had this birth experience and, but I don't remember anything about it. And there were other people there and it was my experience and they witnessed it. And it was also my experience and my wife's experience, obviously, but I don't remember anything about it. And and I wish that I was able to remember that experience. And I was very, very taken aback. I was found that quite impressive. And 
made me think of some of the other things that we would be able to identify as a, as being absurd as well. The idea that I have had people that were in my life that are no longer in my life. They've they've passed on to a freer life and they've died. And, you know, so I've seen people be and then not be. And so I have this understanding of, of death. And I know that I too one day will die. But even with that, I, I don't know what to expect. I, like death is this very mysterious thing. And, you know, it's kind of absurd, like that I, I've, I've witnessed it happen for someone else. And I know it's going to happen for me, but intelligibly, I, I don't know what to expect in terms of that experience as that point comes when it will arrive for me. We have, uh, there, there's this other idea of the absurd that we have to be careful that we're, we're, we're not mixing up. So someone might say, you know, uh, to the teacher, sorry, I can't submit my homework. And, and the teacher might say, why is that? And the young person will say, well, my dog ate it. And we're like, oh, you know, that's absurd. You just, you just didn't do it. That's ridiculous. And so we're not talking about that. What we're talking about, so I guess I should kind of give a little bit of um, Camus' understanding of what the absurd is, and then we can get back to some more examples. Camus says that the, the human individual is not absurd, and the world is not absurd. It's an interaction that happens between the individual and the world. And as a, an individual in this world, we, we have desires. We have a desire for the world to be meaningful. We have a desire for our experience to seem to have a, a purpose, uh, a reason for us being here. And we want the world to be rational, to be able to be comprehended and understood. And Camus says that, you know, in terms of that being the nature of the lived experience for human beings, what we find in our interaction with the world that is that the world is irrational, that the world doesn't inherently have any meaning, and that our lives do not have any inherent in, uh, inherent meaning. And that when we realize this, at times there's a desire or an inclination to appeal to something else to say, well, you know, if the world is absurd, well, then uh, this might be the case. And, and for some people, uh, they might discover and uh, nurture and grow a strong faith and a faith in God um, for other people. They might find something that's transcendent like that, that can meet the, the need, the desire that we have to have this experience, this lived experience, be rational and meaningful. Well, Camus suggests that if we're being honest with ourselves and we only deal with what is given, that the truth of that situation is that we know that we have desires and we have feelings and that we exist in this world. And we know that we want it to make sense. But our experience is that it doesn't make sense and it doesn't have meaning. And so this is that situation that we're embedded within and that because of that, we will experience anxiety, we'll experience despair, Sartre, who's an existentialist, would say that we uh, will experience nausea, uh, this, this physical uncomfortableness with the way the world is in terms of what we want and we're experiencing it. Now, I don't want to go too deep with my discussion about Camus and my discussion about 
Sartre, uh, who is an existentialist. I think uh, there's a person that you might enjoy if you're interested in this, and his name is Gregory B. Sadler. He does lectures online, and he can be accessed through YouTube, and he talks about existentialism and has lectures on both Albert Camus uh, the myth of Sisyphus and a number of different works, as well as lectures on Sartre. So what we find is that perhaps, getting back to the previous episode, when we're talking about the causes of depression, here I'm offering a thought that perhaps a tenth cause for depression and anxiety is this realization that the world presents itself at times as being absurd incomprehensible, ambiguous, complex. And because of that, we become overwhelmed. We feel anxious. We have existential angst. We have despair. So during those moments, for whatever reason, if it's the existential crisis or if it's because you're standing up in front of an audience and having to give a lecture or a presentation or getting on a plane for the first time, that's why I've recommended in terms of tackling or standing up to anxiety, the Anxiety BC website. So you can go through there. Also, you can go to the CAMH website and access the education section of that website. And there is a PowerPoint there on anxiety disorders. And, you know, in terms of providing a definition of what it is we're talking about, if we're talking about anxiety... Here, it suggests that anxiety is a part of our natural fight-or-flight response. This response gave our ancestors the burst of energy needed to deal with physical dangers, such as a charging animal. Today, our bodies may still get ready for fight-or-flight in emotionally stressful situations, such as a job interview or final exams. Some people experience anxiety that is greater than the situation calls for. Their anxiety can be so great that they find it hard to cope with everyday life. In these cases, the person may have an anxiety disorder. And in that case, as I identified in the previous episode, the important thing is reaching out for help and realizing that asking for help is a demonstration of great courage. So a person might reach out to one's priest. A person might reach out to a trusted friend, to a teacher, to a co-worker, to a colleague to a psychologist, a psychotherapist, a treater. So if it's becoming overwhelming, reach out for help and get the help you need and create that map for yourself, your anxiety plan. And some really wonderful concrete action steps are available on the Anxiety BC website. Getting back to this, the distinction between this concept of the absurd and the experience of the absurd... This is a, an experience I shared with you when I walked out of the Coronet building when I was attending university in Victoria, and I stepped out into the world from this maze-like building and thought to myself, the world doesn't have to be this way. The world could be different. And it, it was an experience of, of the absurd. And we can just go to our newspaper sources and find many examples of the absurd around us. Once once we kind of identify a number of different examples of the absurd, it kind of leaves us in a very uncomfortable place. All of a sudden, like, what do we what do we do if 
if the world, in fact, is meaningless, or if we, if someone takes the leap, as Camus would say, which would be making a, a choice in bad faith, would, uh, as Sartre would say. And I'm not saying that we have to agree with them, but we have to be critically reflective and ask, is there anything that they're offering that could help us navigate our lives in this complex world, this ambiguous world that can help us have a better place of wellness uh, situated within ourselves. So um, this article I found not too long ago from, I believe it was the CBC News. It says, storage business booming as Canadians grapple with too much stuff. And just as an aside, the too much stuff, what can fit in with a future podcast on minimalism and happiness, right? So right now, I set up the Happier Project in episode one. It's like, okay, we're talking about anxiety and depression. And identified the absence of anxiety and despair does not lead to happiness. So we're just tackling a part of this bigger challenge for some people to get to a happier life by exploring anxiety and depression, which are growing unfortunate situations in, in the world, according to the World Health Organization. So we have this storage business booming as Canadians grapple with too much stuff. And population growth is a driver, but so are smaller living spaces and people's simple attachment to their stuff. So I don't, I don't want to judge the fact that, you know, I might or you might or people might at some point need a storage space for their stuff. I just, I just want to put some thoughts beside each other and see how they feel and how they can inform us, right? I don't want to say that anxiety is bad or despair is bad. I want to identify that we can have a healthy or unhealthy response to anxiety or despair, and that we can use this as information to guide us in our lives because it's giving us information about how we're doing in our lives, right? So we have this article and it's saying right now there are approximately two square feet per capita for each Canadian in terms of storage space. If you go to the U.S., they're saying there's per uh, U.S. has an average of nine square feet of storage for every individual. Now, there is this company, Daimon, intends to open a huge whopping number of new locations, 80 locations in and around Toronto. It's also considering a national expansion to roll out in stages. The company is currently building what Creighton says will be the biggest storage facility in Canada, 500,000 climate-controlled square feet covering about 3.6 hectares in Toronto's West End. The The wine storage area will also feature a lounge for wine tastings. Okay, they're saying that the, the, the push for this expansion is the six D's, you know, downsizing relates to minimalism, uh, death, divorce, displacement, disaster, density, more people living in smaller spaces. There's this writer, futurist writer, James Wolman, author of Stuffocation, who believes that people are simply being smothered with having too many possessions. And he says, you know, if you're storing stuff and there's not enough room in your house to keep the stuff that you that you use, I think that the universe is telling you something. It's telling you that you got too much stuff. And it ends by saying that there is a place, storage vault, that has spent $800 million over the past two years buying up more than 100 of its co- competitors coast to coast. So this, this, is, this is an expanding field, right? Here we can recognize that people have lots of stuff, according to different statistics, uh, as, as 
as much as we have more stuff and require more storage space, alarmingly, there's increases in depression, according to the WHO from the previous episodes. So we have this development in the storage industry, and there's a boom. And, and then th- here's this other article, and I kind of just put it beside it, and, and it just makes, it makes me think about the absurd. And it's, it's entitled, We Can End Homelessness in Canada. It's from the Globe and Mail. It was updated March 21st, 2018. And it says, Homelessness has been an issue for so long. Many view it as a natural fixture of our world. Inevitable, unfixable. Quite simply, that's not the case. Mass homelessness is the result of choices we have made. It's time to make better ones. 35,000 people in Canada experience some form of homelessness every day, and 235,000 a year. Another 1.5 million people pay more than they can really afford, more than 30% of their income. It says, for decades, governments trying to balance budgets opted for false economies, cutting investment in housing and squeezing social and mental health services. The net result, 100,000 fewer units of housing than would otherwise have been built and growth in homelessness in communities across Canada. They offer this as a, a budgeting thought. Yes, there's a price to doing this, to addressing the homelessness plight. $4.4 billion a year for the next decade an increase of $1.8 billion a year over current investment, but that's only about $50 for each Canadian annually, less than a dollar a week. A bargain when we consider the homelessness costs of Canada, of the Canadian economy, $7 billion a year. Ending homelessness would yield a two-to-one return on investment. So for me, when I put these two articles together, and I'm thinking, well, you know, if we have homelessness... And we need to find places for people to live, accessible, affordable housing. But yet we have this storage boom where we see that there's a company that's in the process of purchasing and developing 3.6 hectares. It seems like we've arrived at a place where we're going to definitely make sure our stuff is comfortable, but people are going without. Once again, without judging it, it just my response to that, my automatic response, and perhaps with some some thinking and some deliberation I might get someplace else is like, this is absurd. So I'd like to invite you to think about whether or not you've experienced the absurd in your life. That have you been somewhere at some moment, perhaps standing on a corner, and you're thinking about life or your life, the world, the world that you're in, and all of a sudden you get this sense that the world, your experience of being in this world is absurd. That's, that the, the thing that you're witnessing is absurd. And how does that feel? Does it, is it accompanied by feelings of anxiety? Is it accompanied by feeling despair and existential angst? And it seems like when we arrive at that moment, there's kind of a, a realization, at least from an existentialist position, where we discover that we have to make choices. And those choices are the fact that we become aware that we have to make choices and that we can shape this world and that the choice that I make, in a sense, is a declaration of a, it's an expression of a moral commitment that everyone should be making that choice, not knowing necessarily what the consequences of the choice might be. That's pretty overwhelming. So how do we, how do we stand up to the absurd? Well, in terms of right now, a person that's struggling with anxiety, I've given you some kind of a number of resources that you can utilize and put in your self-directed curriculum of wellness and put in your toolbox. But in terms of the, the 
philosophical concept, we have this thought by Camus that says, you know, what, what we need to do is, in spite of the fact that the world has no meaning, and it never will have meaning, we need to continue to struggle and move forward. Now, I find myself departing from Camus at this point. He says there's no place for hope. You know, who, who are you talking to right now, the hopeful humanist? I think that if he his thoughts were grounded in his experience of the absurd, and then he starts a philosophical reasoning and tries to follow it to its end and says, you know, the, the goal is to live without an appeal to anything, without an appeal to God, because that's going outside of what's given. That uh, for me, I go back to my experience, and my experience kind of informs me about the different things that I can do to stand up to the absurd. I'm going to share uh, an experience and perhaps not go too deep with it, but I, I feel that I really became aware of the absurd when I lost my father when I was 16 years old. And in the early hours of the morning, it, it was it was brought to my attention. There was a knock at the door and the police had arrived and said, you know, unfortunately, something tragic has happened and um, your, your father has passed away. And, and I was in a moment there where I was, I was definitely in shock and I, I wasn't sure how to proceed. I wasn't sure how to make sense out of it. I was kind of frozen in a sense, but I was able to kind of take myself away from that moment eventually a couple hours later and go for a walk. And on this walk, I found a local community park that seemed to be free of any activity. And I, and I climbed a tree and I, I had those thoughts that I imagine anyone would have had. And the, the thought was, you know, I'll never be able to talk to my father again. My last conversation, that was my last encounter with him. And I didn't know that that was going to be my last encounter with him. And what would have I done differently if I had known that was going to be my last encounter with him? And I was thinking about the bigness of life. And I was confused and overwhelmed. And I arrived at a point where I'm like, it's time, it's time to go. And I jumped out of the tree. And as I jumped out of the tree, I landed in a pile of shit. And it, it was something about that moment, not necessarily right in that moment, I wasn't cognizant of the absurd. I felt the absurd, though. And that's what I'm trying to distinguish in this episode, that we have experiences of the absurd, and it creates this anxiety. And what can we do to stand up to anxiety? And when I try to pursue a philosophical thought in terms of trying to reconcile myself to this, I'm I, I kind of not sure. I'm, I'm perplexed. I'm, I, I find myself going to dead ends. But there, in that moment, when you would think, that landing in a pile of shit was the worst thing that could happen to someone. It, it, was, it was trivial compared to the, the greater pile of shit in my life in terms of the stuff that I'm going to, I was going to have to navigate in terms of the eventual healing that would have to take place. And there was a point where I thought to myself, perhaps I could make sense out of this by imagining that this event was an unconscious sacrificial gift from my father to me about the importance of living mindfully. And then I realized that I was just engaging in some kind of self-deception. And I arrived at a point where I thought to myself, you know, this reality just is, it's tragic. End of story. That's, that's what it is. And it was hard 
to imagine what, what it would be like moving forward because this was something that was causing me to, to freeze. I, I was paralyzed. I had regret. Uh, I was experiencing shame. And, and then in that moment of feeling the absurd, I had a realization. And the realization was that in honor of my father's tragic passing, I needed to live life to the fullest. And that seemed to speak volumes to me that I could just live fully in honor of that. It didn't feel like a deception. It felt like a moment of honesty with myself. And there was something beautiful and revitalizing about that. I realized that at that moment that I could reclaim my life. And I think that that's one way to stand up to the absurd, that if we feel that we want something from the world that the world can't give us, right? Here I am in my later years in life, and I'm in a field where I help people, and yet I couldn't help my father. How absurd, right? What if a person could go back in time and, and make a difference in another person's life? Why wouldn't I take that opportunity? But that opportunity is not available to me. So the one way I can claim my life is to say, not just completely in honor of him, but in recognition of that experience, that the tragedy was that he didn't get, as Camus would say, a uh, ethic of quantity. Uh, Camus would say, you know, the goal in life and the struggle is that in spite of the meaninglessness of it, to, to stay in this world, you know, in terms of to be or not to be, to be, and in terms of being, be conscious, and when you're being conscious, get as much experience as you can and as much variety of experience as you can. And when we're making choices and taking responsibility for our lives, we discover what is truly valuable. And we create values over time, even though they might not be there directing us from the beginning. And we find things that become meaningful to, meaningful to us. And if meaning for me is not something that's conferred externally from above, it can be something that I project outwardly um, from this internal world that exists within me that's intimately interconnected with the world around me. So life is not a fairy tale, but it's full of everything that can make one. And that became my way of reconciling myself with the absurd. Now, I'm not suggesting by any means that I am the standard that others should then model themselves after. But I'm saying that in terms of Camus' challenge about going through this world and just accepting that once we experience the absurd, that the only way to proceed is to recognize despairingly without hope, but nonetheless persisting with life, that there will never be any meaning. Well, for me, my experience has been different in terms of that existential question. My experience has been from that concrete, absurd moment that I had when my father passed away, when I was 16, that I can live life to the fullest, recognizing that that moment was the tragedy that it was, but I can create meaning. And as such, I am embarking on this kind of adventure where I'm sharing resources with people in my community and hopefully on some level making a difference. So 
this is the episode today on the absurd. I think that uh, we're probably going to come back to it. And I imagine that I, I have notes everywhere here in front of me. And I imagine I didn't even come close to tackling everything that I wanted to in terms of this discussion. But there's always a chance for things to come forward again and because all these discussions are interconnected. So please check out the website Anxiety BC. There's a map for people that really want to create safety for themselves in terms of managing feeling overwhelmed. There's some really helpful resources for parents to look at to support their young people with. A young person can also access the site and come across some helpful information, take a test on whether or not they're feeling anxious, things that they can do to increase healthy habits. You could go to the Action for Happiness website right now if you're feeling a little overwhelmed and explore some of the podcasts that are there on mindfulness. And also, you can check out the CAMH website and explore uh, anxiety disorders. I think we just need to recognize that anxiety is inevitable. Feeling sad is inevitable. These are things that happen. These feelings happen because of events that unfold in our lives. And these feelings are information. We can befriend our feelings and we can claim our lives. And that's the goal uh, that I had today in terms of addressing the absurd to say that as overwhelming as it might be to think about having to accept that sometimes the world is experienced as being absurd, that we can reach out and support one another and we can explore our choices, the revelatory nature of choice, and discover the things that are meaningful to us. And we can keep our mind's eye on those things and move forward in a meaningful, purposeful state of well-being amidst the complexity and challenges of life. We can do hard things, even though that life is hard. So thank you for joining me. And we will talk again at the next meeting of minds for episode seven. Peace.